So pull out your Bibles, and we are, we are as you have heard, this morning is um, all about a heart of worship. And I mentioned Bethany, but Bethany is unique in that there are four specific encounters that we're going to look at that took place in the town of Bethany. Um, the one that we just sang about, one thing is needed when Jesus received Mary at his feet. There were two anointings of Jesus in homes, and this is the place that Lazarus, who was dead, resurrected. And so there's a lot that happens in the town of Bethany. And so in a week and a half, we are beginning Lent, and I thought this is so appropriate because this is like the last stop on his way to the, the Holy Week, into Jerusalem for crucifixion. He stops at, the, at Bethany on his way into a very difficult week. It, it was like he knew he needed a bit of refreshment, and so he stopped off at a house where he knew he was welcome. And so I want us to start just by, and I'll say this, um, worship is not about your personality. Whether you, I'm a worshiper, and I like the song part, and I don't, or I like the word part. No, it's all one. You can't not be a, a like the worship part. That It's worship. It's not a song fest. It's worship. Right? Right? And so it's all one. And so whether you are a person of worship has nothing to do with your personality, so get that out of your head immediately. It's not. Whether you are an expressive person or non-expressive person, it has nothing. It's your heart and the worship that comes out of your heart. And I... I had to walk my own journey with that, which we'll, we'll talk about a little more. But I want us to start in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read verse, starting in verse 30, 38. Guys, I like, I'm going to have to, I'm already at 16 point print here. I feel like I got to go up to 18. <laughs> Can't read. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. The word of Christ is important. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Ooh, she's offended. That's a whole nother message that I love to preach because the Lord's taught me how to walk without offense, I, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask my family. They really know if I walk without offense. <laughs> Therefore, tell her to help me. Oh, she's such a tattletale. Lord, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. That's what my husband likes to say to me. You just need to, like, relax. I just need to get him a T-shirt that says that. He says that to me a lot. You just need to relax. And I'm like, well, you need to get up and get moving. 
See, we balance each other. So I asked, so, and I, I'll, I'll be like Martha, Lord, would you just stir him up to do this? <laughs> I just got a Martha about being a tattletale, and there I am. One thing is needed, Jesus said, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed. He didn't then give a whole bunch of, but this is also good, and this is good, and this is good. He just blanket right there. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen. And that's the thing about the prayer that we say, make me a Bethany. It, it, it is a prayer, but see, it, it's a cooperation because I have to make the choice to become a Bethany. I have to choose to become an excellent worshiper. He can't do that for me. He empowers me and he teaches me, but I make a choice. I want the one thing. I want to be house of Bethany, a house. I, I love, I love, as much as I am a Martha, I love the freedom that Christ gave in this passage when he established this woman has come into the group of men and sat there at the feet of Jesus, where women typically are not welcome. You've all heard me preach on that in a very loving, kind way. But it's a truth. Jesus was inviting this, allowing this woman to come where women were not welcome. And when, it, when her sister is calling her to do the womanly work, Jesus said, no. No, she's chosen to sit here at my feet and partake of what Darren preached last week on the bread. In that moment, Mary was feasting on the bread. If you haven't listened, if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, I would encourage you. I feel like the sermons the Lord's been giving to us, the words are foundational for what he wants to do this year. So if you've missed services, I would encourage you to get online and, and listen to what God has been speaking to us because there's something unique that's happening and you may not be sensing it yet, but it's happening. And so these have been foundational and all of what God calls us to do, if we get this wrong, the one thing, we get it all wrong. The first commandment, love the Lord your God. Worship him. If we don't get the one thing right, we don't get it right. And so today I want to talk about the heart of worship. I'm going to give you six truths about the heart of worship. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here we go. I didn't give you a paper this week. You got to bring your own notebooks. We're going to look at a few. So we're just going to sit in the town of Bethany for a little bit, okay? I read you the one encounter of Mary and Martha that happened because Mary and Martha lived in the town of Bethany. Okay, we're going to look at a couple of more accounts of, of things that took place in the town of Bethany. And so in John chapter 12, I want you to read verses 1 through 8. And, and so you see that this is the final stop because this is six days before the Passover this is right before we move into Holy Week and Jesus is about, the lamb is about to make his way to the cross. 
And so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, which we're going to look at later. There, there they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. That's what worship does. There is an, it is an incense. There is an aroma that comes off of your worship that rises to heaven. As in the, the days of the old of the priests. See, the priests were in charge of the worship. And, and as they offered sacrifices, what went up to heaven? The aroma of the sacrifice. There's an aroma that comes from your worship that goes to heaven. And it, 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 you, can, you know when you step into a place where worship is happening, you can feel, you can, there is an aroma. And so here this aroma fills the house. But one of his disciples, Judas, we all know Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Jesus. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Oh, doesn't that sound good? I'm going to give to the poor. This he said, not that he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used, he used to take what was put into it. Jesus made him the treasurer of the disciples, and he knew Judas. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. This is the other thing about worship is that it doesn't just have an aroma, but there is prophetic worship even that is David King David engaged in a lot of prophetic his worship was prophetic of the new covenant there is she didn't even realize what she was doing but the worship she was giving to Jesus was a prophetic thing it was not for the now it was for his burial to come you don't know what your worship is doing. You don't know what your worship is doing. What happens in the spirit realm through your worship? This happened again just a few days later in Matthew 26, verse 6. And Jesus was in Bethany. This time he's not at the home of Lazarus, he is at the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came and poured out, had an alabaster flask of costly fragrant oil and poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, saw it they were indignant. Why this waste? Why, this, why not give to the poor? And Jesus, I love, he says, why do you trouble this woman? 
why don't you just let her worship? Why are you troubling her? I love that response that Jesus has. For she has done a good work for me. Wherever this gospel is preached, she will be remembered. The, ha- the place and what is happening in Bethany is, is that there are encounters that are happening because these are people that have learned to worship Jesus. They've learned to sit at his feet. And the, tr- the first truth about the heart of worship is that it costs something. It costs something. Let me give you a little example. Some of you I have told this to. But, you know, Darren doesn't, sometimes he'll bring me odds and ends. He used to bring me coffees before I owned a coffee shop. But a few times, in his wondrous expression of love and affection, he's brought me flowers. I'll say, oh, where did those flowers come from? The funeral I did today. I said those for sure do not count. Funeral flowers do not count and they cost you nothing. Did I receive that gift of affection from him? No, I did not. I mean, I enjoyed the flowers for the flowers' sake, but it was not an act of affection and love that I received from him. It was a great big eye roll. Only you would bring funeral flowers to your wife. That cost him nothing, and so it did nothing for me. (laughs) This is the truth. It costs something to have a heart of worship. You are reading things into that, Stephen, that you shouldn't be. (laughs) Now everybody's uncomfortable right now. Something as we say for the U50 group. (laughs) Worship costs something. When everything is going well in my life and I worship him, that's good because he's worthy of my worship then. But I, I have said this, you've heard me say this before. But the times I've had, I've been in a lot of worship services. I have no idea how many worship services I have been in in my life, but it's a lot. Do you know the ones that I recall that I have specific memory of always are the ones that cost me something? Are the ones that when, when things were going re- really bad, when we were having a very hard time. And I can remember always, I've always, I've, since the time I have been a child, I've been a front row person. I don't need any of you distracting me. <laughs> I just got to worship Jesus. So I've always been a front row. Even in youth group and kids, I want the front row. And I remember standing in those times. I can think back and lifting up my hands singing, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. The most significant times of worship were at the most difficult times in life. It cost me something to worship. 
it costs me something. The most intimate times in a marriage or even in a friendship or relationship are the times when you go through hard things together. It creates intimacy. And, and so there's something about cost that relates to worship. In the Old Testament, if you weren't raising your own flocks to offer as a sacrifice, what did you have to do? You'd have to go and buy the sacrifice. Why? You don't just go and it's given. If you're, even if you're poor, it costs something to buy the sacrifice because worship costs. And the heart of worship is the one that worships when it's not easy when it's difficult, when it hurts you, it costs. That is a heart of worship. So the truth about the heart of worship, number one, it costs something. Number two, the truth about the heart of worship, you worship in the broken places, and this is very connected to that first one. Because, you know, sometimes when it costs something, it's not always about painful places. Sometimes it's, it costs me something because I've been really busy and I have to take time out of busyness and worship. That costs me something. The second one, though, is specifically about worshiping in the broken places of life. When life is falling apart and you don't understand it, what is going on? When you get a diagnosis that is bad, when you're in a difficult relationship. The interesting thing about the town of Bethany is the name. The name Bethany, it has actually a few references, and, and, it, and it would be called the House of Figs or the House of Palms, which is interesting as he's going into Jerusalem, and what are they waving? Palm branches. But one of the names for the House of Bethany is the House of Misery. Who wants to live there? <laughs> the house of misery. A heart of worship worships in the broken places, in the places of misery. Out of misery comes encounter. This is what Jesus does. Out of our most, and I've been in miserable places. Anybody ever been in a, just a miserable place? You're like, huh? Can that season just be done and over with? And can we never revisit it again? These are the places that Jesus, I think, tends to like to encounter, do have encounter, do miraculous things are in the places of misery. <laughs> and so for the person that set, wants the heart of worship, there's a determination that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship when it costs me something, and I'm going to worship when it's miserable, when it's misery. Out of the house of misery, encounter happened. The truth of the heart of worship number three is that worship is a place of intimacy and fellowship. 
think about the types of encounters that were happening in Bethany. They were typically happening around the table. They were there eating. They were in homes. They were partaking with one another, and there's encounter with Jesus there. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. There is something about the picture of the table, and and a lot of Americans don't understand that because we've lost the table experience. And we we have no understanding of, of what happens socially, interaction, and relationally around a table. But all through the Bible, you'll see this. There are things that happen around a table and that, that picture of that. It's an intimate place. It happens in Bethany within their personal space. Oh, now we get uncomfortable. Do I really want Jesus in my personal space? He likes to get up in your business. <laughs> He likes to get up in my business. This is what Jesus said in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. The one thing that Jesus is not looking for is space between you and him. The encounters in Bethany were all up close and personal. And I think that's beautiful. They were places of intimacy and fellowship. They were miraculous encounters. So they were, they were up close and personal and they were miraculous encounters. And so here's the account we referred to of Lazarus in Luke chapter 10. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent for Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now I'm skipping around a little. You can go back and read the whole chapter. Jesus came and found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Decay had begun. And he cried out. So, so sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 32. Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. And Mary just had this habit, and I think it's a really great habit. She fell down at his feet. This seems to be Mary's favorite place is at the feet of Jesus. She falls at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then it goes on. You can read some more. But then we get to verse 43 and Jesus then begins to call to Lazarus. And if you really want to hear the story in a cool way, you can look up Carmen, who did a song on this, you know, the greatest songwriter for skits that there ever was. Youth groups are not the same. But he begins to cry, Lazarus. Can you all hear? Lazarus, come forth. 
I know all the kids are like, what are you talking about? We tried to play Carmen for our kids, and I think they just like, what is this? <laughs> There's nothing like the Carmen's voice calling out to Lazarus. But Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Carmen needed multiple times of saying Lazarus. Jesus just needed once. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. I'd say these are the kind of encounters that are happening in the place of, of, of intimate worship and fellowship. We sang it today, come alive. Things come alive. Think of intimacy between a husband and a wife. When there is intimacy, what happens? Life is burst. Life is created. Where there is intimacy and fellowship and worship, miraculous things happen. Things come to life that were not before. Praise the Lord. And so Bethany has become this place of encounters and miracles. And Bethany was the place that established the one thing. There was a lot that took place in Bethany in these few encounters. It was the place of intimacy, personal space, miraculous, and establishment of the one thing. One thing needed. There is, if, if you go back to Revelation chapter 3 that we read earlier, the invitation to receive Christ and to dine with him. If you were to look at that passage in the context, this was one of the, the churches that Jesus was speaking to. And this was the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea was accused of being lukewarm. And the interesting thing is that in the natural, this happened, where the waters would run into Laodicea, cold water ran in on one side, hot on the other, and the place of Laodicea and the natural, there was lukewarm water. And, and so in that passage, Jesus, there was happening in the natural in that town was also what was happening spiritually. They were lukewarm people. And what was Jesus' solution to the lukewarmness? Hear my voice and let me in and I will dine with you. What was it? It was the place of intimacy and fellowship. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. If you were to define that word lukewarm, here's what you would find. Lukewarm is a metaphor of the condition of the soul, wretchedly. Everybody say wretchedly. It's kind of right there with misery. It's the condition of the soul wretchedly fluctuating between a lethargy and a fervor of love. That is the definition of lukewarm. Wretchedness that comes to your soul because you are neither hot nor cold. You keep going back and forth. You keep, yeah, I'm all in for Jesus. Oh, yeah, what? what, what? Where is Jesus? I'm busy doing this. It's a wretched place. By definition. 
It is the, the place of Bethany before Christ comes and encounters the place of misery. It made me think of Anna Green Gables. Anybody read Anna Green Gables? Anna Green Gables was an emotional young girl. And she lived either way up here or way down here. She's either higher than a kite or depressed as all get out. It's a wretched fluctuation. And it is not the place for the heart of a worshiper. We're not governed by our emotions. We're not governed by our feelings. I'm not fluctuating here or there. I maintain my fervor for the Lord by worshiping him in the place of good times and in the place of misery. I, I, I've said I'm over here. My fervor, I stay in fervor with the Lord. The one thing. The lukewarm person is the person that has not embraced one thing is needed in my life. To sit at the feet of Jesus. Truth number four. I've got to move along here. So I hope you're writing it. Truth about the heart of worship number four is recognition of visitation. Oh my goodness, this one got me going. I don't know, you'll probably be like, oh. I found this fascinating, recognition of visitation. And what brought me to thinking about this was the situation of Lot. If you haven't read the account, you can go back in Genesis 19. But Lot is, is a relative of, is a nephew of Abraham. And he had gone his own way and ended up in the city of Sodom where there is much sin taking place. And so in Genesis 19, it says that two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate and he saw them and he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He recognized this is a visitation of heavenly hosts. And he says, come into my home and spend the night. Wash your feet, and then the next day you can go on your way. He insisted, I'm, I'm really summarizing here. He insisted strongly because they were going to, no, no. He said, no, come in, come in. And they entered his house. He made a feast for them. He baked unleavened bread, and they ate. In the morning, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters, lest they be consumed in the punishment of this city. The Lord was going to demolish the city because the men and women refused to repent and turn to the Lord. Sin was abounding. And while he lingered, so he was lingering. He didn't quick, he was not quick to, okay, let's get out of here. You know, what you might think that they might do. And so finally, the angels take his hand and pull him and say, let's go. We got to go. The Lord was being merciful to them, it says. And they brought him out and set him outside the city and said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. So what was the command that they gave? Run, escape, and 
Don't look back. Don't look back. What happened? They ran, and who looked back? His wife. And she became a pillar of salt that all would remember. In fact, in the New Testament, it says, remember Lot's wife. She's a warning. I just find this mind-blowing that this woman had a visitation from heaven in her home. In her home. And what resulted was her still, after that visitation, her disobeying the word of the Lord and looking back. She did not recognize the visitation that was in her midst. We've got to recognize, to have a heart of worship is to recognize his presence, to know it when it's there. Truth number five about the heart of worship, guard against busyness. You know I had to bring this in. Because it says, actually, in the Bible, as it was in the days of Noah, it will be in the last days of the Son of Man. They will eat, they will drink, they will marry. And, and, and they did that in the day of Moses until they entered the ark and the floods came. People were going about their business. And just like Noah, they ate in the days of Lot. It says they ate in the New Testament. They ate in the days of Lot. They drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, and then they were demolished. The heart of the worshiper must guard against busyness. This is what will lead us to the lukewarmness of of the heart. Because what happens if you have food on a fire and you remove it from the fire, what begins to happen? It begins to get cold immediately. It gets cold. And so when we, what, what busyness will do is take us from the one thing. And the one thing is the fire. The one thing keeps us on the fire. And then you have to hear me because I, I understand seasons. I understand. I understand. Uh, Darren stopped by Dennis and Linda's at one point months ago in the middle of the day. And he said it was obvious that Linda had been in the word and praying and he had interrupted that. And you're like, that's wonderful. But the Doolin family back there can't do that, right? There are seasons and sometimes seasons are busier than others. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with taking care of the business we've got to take care of. What I'm saying is in the midst of that, you've got to keep the one thing. You've heard me refer to Brother Lawrence. Everybody should read Brother Lawrence, The Practice of His Presence. I I try to read it yearly. It's a little book, and he was a monk, 
And his job as a monk was to cook the food. That was all he did. He cooked the food. And this wasn't like in the days of microwaves and, you know, electric blenders and such. This is old school cooking. And, and so Brother Lawrence, what he teaches is how do you experience the presence of God in the mundane of life? And he says this, think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. I get there are busy times. I get it. I've lived that life. I, I, I you know, I raised four. I get that. And, and nowadays, retired grandparents are just as busy because they're helping the younger families raise their kids, which is wonderful in that we are building community in our very independent society. I think that is just beautiful. I, you know, if Jeremy and Sarah would just move closer, I would help take care of my grandkids. But they chose to live far away. I'm not offended or anything. <laughs> What is Brother Lawrence trying to teach, though? In, in your business and in your pleasure, your heart is turned toward him. There's no separation. This is my church box, and this is my family box, and, and this is my pleasure box. Jesus is welcome in every box. I worship him in every box. When I'm, when I'm at the shop, I'm worshiping him. When I'm in my garden, I'm worshiping him. When I'm doing dishes and I'm not offended with my family for leaving me dishes, I'm worshiping him. <laughs> I didn't say it was easy. What did I say? It costs something to worship, right? It costs something. You got to keep it on the fire, Truth number six, I got to wrap us up. This is the last truth about the heart of worship. You got to recognize his due. There's truth in all of the previous five, but it boils down for me to this. I have to recognize what is due him. And I think that this is a little harder for our American culture because we don't really get protocol in things like honor. We don't get that. One thing you find on a missions trip is you discover this thing called honor. Because these people that have nothing, they're so honored by your presence that they will give, spend a month's wage to feed you a meal, to honor you. We are a very individualistic society. We don't understand the honor of familial community. I, I, I just, I messaged Kathy Rigg last week and I said, Kathy, I just want to tell you that you bless me so much by the way you honor your mother when you take care of her. She does an excellent job with her mother in the nursing home. There is an honor and protocol that America, we are very like casual about so many things. 
And can I say to you, there is nothing casual about worship. I have fun with the Lord. There are times where just when I say I'm enjoying my life, I'm enjoying him. But there is a holy, holy honor because of his presence that is a due him. I've been, I've been listening lately to Jesus Image, a church in Florida. And I, you, know, you know my Catholic roots. And one of the hardest things for me in coming out of the Catholic church and coming into a freer, and you know I love to worship, but the lack of, what is the word I want to say? Um, there's a protocol when you go to worship in Mass that you follow. There's a, um, there is, because this is, we're coming into a place where we're worshiping his presence. There is um, a, a sanctity to that. And I had a hard time. That was one thing I had a hard time. I was a teenager and having a hard time coming out of that into our casualness sometimes. Because his presence, he is so, what are they singing around the altar? Holy Holy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. And, and you, you know, sometimes we like to sing repetitive songs. And that's because we're sheep and we're not very intelligent sometimes. And, and we, it takes a lot of repetition to get things into us. But what are they doing? They're not having, they're, what are they, they're just singing holy, holy, holy. When the holiness of Christ is revealed, there's no, what can you do but sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. He, he is due our worship. This is where I say it's not about your personality. And there are some people that are natural lovers. And I get that. Some people, it just comes easy because you are by nature a lover. That is not me. I am not by nature a lover. I'm not an overly affectionate, expressive person. I'm not. It's the thing that I've had to, I would say one of my biggest um, drawbacks as a mother. I'll do anything for them. But I'm not a natural lover, ooey-gooey kind of a lover. And so for some of us, we have to work. Some of you are like, the bride of Christ? I'm the bride of Christ? What are you talking about? Some of us, it's harder to engage in that intimacy. But it's never, ever, ever about my person. I remember the first time I had danced before the Lord. And I, I, rem I remember I was against the wall and I remember like doing this kind of thing. And like my toe, I was on the very tip of my toes and they really wanted to come off the floor. But I was having a hard time breaking through that. It's not, na it wasn't natural for me. I will serve the Lord wholeheartedly and do what he asks me to do. But to become a lover of Christ, I had to learn at the feet of Jesus. I would be the Martha, right? And so... I love to talk about worship because I feel like I come with that perspective. I, I, you, you can look at the worship team and think, oh, they're natural at that. That's just their, I'm not like that. Listen, it, 
the worship that is due Christ comes from every child of his. It is due him. It has nothing to do with my inclination. The truth at the heart of worship. In Luke chapter 7, and we're going to finish with this. I know I'm going longer, but your food will still be there. Luke chapter 7. Actually, I had concluded last week in Petersburg our time of worship with this passage. I had felt the Lord speak it to me. And this is another, this, is, this did not happen in Bethany. This is another account of a woman coming to Jesus in a home. It's different from the others. This was a woman that had a reputation as being a, a sinful woman. And so in verse 36, one of the Pharisees, Okay, now remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. The religious leaders. Jesus, one of them asked Jesus to come and eat with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. This is like a year's wages. So when we, when we sing songs like I, the one we sang years ago, I break my, open my alabaster box. We, we sang it today, I pour my oil on you. What are we saying? We're saying it costs something to worship. And I'm withholding nothing. I'm pouring out what costs something to worship you. That's what these women were doing. And so she breaks open, she brings the, the flask of oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And when the, the Pharisee, the religious leader, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he spoke to himself. And so in his mind, this is what he's thinking. This man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Ooh, he's getting religious now. And of course, Jesus, who knows all things and is a prophet, says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Has Jesus ever said that to you? <laughs> Cammie, I have something to say to you. Simon just gets called into the principal's office. But... In a, in a good way, he says, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he forgave the debt. Tell me, which of them love him more? And Simon said, I suppose the one who forgave more debt. And, and Jesus said, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water 
for my feet. That she has washed my feet with her tears. It was tradition. He should have cleansed. I mean, they're walking through the dirty muck of town. He should have cleansed the feet of Jesus. And so these unclean feet of Christ, this woman is washing his feet with her tears and wiping with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. He comes into the home and the Pharisees, the Pharisee, and the Pharisee does not give him what is due, the protocol, the honor that is due him. He does not receive from this religious leader. He receives it from this woman. And he says then, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. As I was reading that, my heart was saying, Lord, when you come into the place, when, you, when your presence comes, may we not offer him what is his due. May we not be like this Pharisee and not give Jesus the worship that is due him. He didn't receive it from the Pharisee. And we can be, look outwardly as religious as we want to. We can go to church every week. We can volunteer at the food pantry. We can do all of these things and appear religious like this Pharisee. But if we're not giving to Jesus what is his due, that's a scary place to me, quite honestly. And so I'm going to ask if the team, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask if the team would come. One more thing that Brother Lawrence said is, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depths of the center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with him, I fear nothing. But the least turning from him is insupportable. As much as I would love to just spend eight hours at his feet in here. In fact, yesterday I was here I had a, a few hours of work I had to do, and I would—I was walking by the sanctuary, and I was just looking at the gun. I wish I could just go in there and just sit at his feet. And I had to prepare for all of you today. And so I, I, I took my worship around in my back pocket. And as I was doing things all over the church, I was just worshiping him. I'm not calling us to be people that have can just spend days worshiping. What I'm saying is that what you carry in the center of your being 
There's one thing needed and he wants to occupy the place of one thing. And he wants us more than anything to excel at being a worshiper. We'll spend eternity doing it, so why not learn to do it here? The truth is, is that the gospel is all about relationship with Jesus, restoring relationship. And worship is the way we engage with him. And so my prayer for us this year, both personally and as a corporate body of Christ, is that we would become the most excellent worshipers. (laughs) Able to push things aside, to engage with the one thing, to sit at his feet. To sit at his feet. It's a beautiful place of freedom. There's no expectations. Mary didn't have to sit there coming up with a plan to get all the work done. It just didn't matter anymore. She was just at his feet. Who cares? It was a beautiful place of freedom at his feet. And so few people will stay there long enough to discover that. And so this morning as we close, I'm going to ask if we'll just all stand. I was telling you about Jesus' image because I I love, every once in a while when I'm listening, and it's a church packed full of, of people. And he'll stop and he'll say, he'll be preaching and he'll say, can we all stop movement? Can we all, can we all just be still and no more distractions? Do you know I will cease drinking coffee like an hour and a half before church so that I don't have to leave service? Because if I don't, I'll have to go to the bathroom. But it's a distraction. And I don't want to be distracted in my worship. That's part of the honor and that's do him and the respect. Let's do him. When my kids were little, I used to make them stand up for all. And I'm not saying anything. If you, I mean, you, you can sit or stand. I don't care. But I wanted to teach them honor and respect. And, and so I'd make them stand. Then you yeah, they just had to stand. They're all in praise and worship. They would then fall asleep, you know, when they were littles, you know, two and three. But I was trying to instill in them my respect for the presence of the Lord and worship for him. And there's no getting around that to have the heart of worship requires honor, it requires respect, It requires prioritizing Jesus as number one. And so I want us just to, for a few moments, because these next 10 minutes won't make a huge difference in your day. Believe me, we have plans. The girls and I are going hiking and we can't wait to get out there. And a few more moments are going to change that. And so I want us just to engage in this prayer for a few more moments of worship and I want us just to ask the Lord to help us to become a Bethany to teach us how to push things aside to sit at his feet to teach us how to prioritize our families so that we can worship and sit at his feet 
he, we have, there's this part that make me a Bethany means he's got to teach us his ways. He's got to give us, Lord, how do I do this? I'm a nursing mom up half the night. How do I do this? He wants to make me a Bethany so he'll teach us and he'll help us. And so can we just commit this year for a few moments here to saying, let's, let's, let's become, let's become worshipers. On your way to work, let's worship him. On your lunch hour, let's worship him. Let's, when you're at the bank helping people, let's pray for them as they come through. Let's just be worshipers.